Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're kicking off Thanksgiving right now. This is the first I've talked about Thanksgiving at all because I was saving it for our friend Anthony Mitchell Samarco. How do you do, sir? I'm well. How are you? I am well. And we're celebrating not only the holiday, but your book, Thanksgiving yes. Traditions in Boston, is it? It is. It's okay. a sequel to Christmas Traditions in Boston. Which was a wild success. I was quite surprised. I was told by the publisher that they actually had not only reprinted it, but it was the fourth reprint. So here he is, folks, which the, the, the great and powerful Anthony oh, Samarco. Gosh. You've been waiting for him. So feel free to call in right away. Don't wait. 617-254-1030. And Anthony suggested, and I agree, that you, actually all of us, Anthony, uh, you and I and everyone share their their own Thanksgiving traditions. We'll also talk about some of the Thanksgiving traditions in Boston, and we can talk about the chapters that you you will, you do have in your book. Why don't you, you can decide whether you want to talk about your personal Thanksgiving traditions or start into the book. Well, that's the thing. It, this is what's so nice about Jay talking. It's shared memories. And I think sometimes when people begin to think of Thanksgiving, one of the first things that comes to mind, of course, is turkey. But I think it's also on Thursday morning we've watched the Macy's Day Parade. And, you know, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day is something that's become a tradition, not only in our home, but I'm sure in many people's homes we watch the floats. We begin to realize in some ways with music and marching bands and things of that sort, it's a fantastic morning. But I think one of the concepts is Thanksgiving is something that's evolved, not just since the 17th century, but it's also something that's evolved in the 21st century that includes not just the foods that are typical of our ethnic origin, but it's also something in a lot of ways that takes on a new meaning of what Thanksgiving is all about. I think a lot of us, you know, perceive the Thanksgiving as the pilgrims having their first Thanksgiving in November of 1621 after a bountiful harvest. But Thanksgiving can also be something of giving thanks for not just, you know, wonderful family, wonderful friends, but in some ways of also sharing the things that actually matter in life. So Thanksgiving can be something that's really truly personal, but it's also something that involves all of us. It does seem as though this is the one day that people really, really, really try to travel, do whatever it takes to get home. Planes, trains, automobiles, oh, whatever. Trains, travel, it's incredible. I only go to Austerville, and in the Wednesday, of course, I'll probably travel down after lunch. But the concept there is that the traffic could actually be two to three hours for less than 75 miles. But when people tell me they're traveling by airplane or by train, it is just incredible. But it's also the fact of spending it with family and friends. That can actually make it all worthwhile. Because sometimes it takes a week to shop, prepare, and then finally cook the meal and serve it. It only takes 15 minutes to eat it. That's true. <laughs> Try to remember something that I never remember, and that is eat slowly. Yes. 
eat slowly, eat with a tiny fork or, or chopsticks or something, oh, so agree. you're not shoveling it in. No, I agree. But I think sometimes it's also the fact that this is not just at Thanksgiving time that we serve roast turkey, but it's something that in November is special and cider and cranberries and all sorts of different things, but with a roaring fire and, you know. So you have a fireplace and everything, don't you? Yeah, we, well. You probably have the optimum Thanksgiving environment. It's a fun Thanksgiving, and we have to admit, it's also with freshly baked goods. We do make everything from scratch. And, of course, all of the eggs that are used in the preparation of, you know, stuffing and, you know, hard-boiled eggs and the desserts, it's all from our little chicken cook. And you make it all. Wow. So I guess since we started down this road, we might as, go, might as well go all the way. Why don't you go into some detail about <laughs> your Thanksgiving? Because it's pretty special, I'm guessing. Well, it's really a compilation of things that my mother had done, my grandmother had done, and, you know, family and friends. But we we have hors d'oeuvres and cocktails at one o'clock sharp, no matter what. We always have it at one o'clock sharp. That was my mother's rule. And then we sit to dinner at two o'clock. And at that point, it's also a roast turkey. And it'll probably include a small sirloin of beef or maybe even a ham. I'm not quite sure. What about the, the hors d'oeuvres? Well, for hors d'oeuvres, I, I do a lot of variety of things. I mean, I serve, you know, cooked shrimp with a sauce, but I also do shrimp wrapped in bacon. I do things such as uh, figs or dates that are stuffed with a uh, goat cheese and small nuts. I also do things, you know, that are simple, little baked brie's, individual bites, things of that sort. I prepare everything the evening before. So, of course... The only thing I really am doing in the morning is roasting the turkey. Is uh, it work? Do you feel like it's work the night before, or is it also fun? Do you, do you do it with a martini, maybe? I do. I do it with a martini, and I do have fun with it. It's a lot of work because I only use the vegetables that one has to peel. And just in case you ever go to someone else's house for Thanksgiving, why don't you tell them how you like your martini now so they'll know and not All be right. embarrassed? It's straight up, uh, three olives, queen if they could be, and ice on the side. <laughs> if they could be. They better be. All right. But the other thing is you say, is it work? Well, yeah, it's, you know, peeling vegetables and things of that sort. But you have to realize we have chickens, and these chickens have their Thanksgiving the next day, which is Thanksgiving Day, when they have butternut squash peelings, potato peelings, and Usually the next day after that, usually leftover vegetables. So our chickens are well-fed, but it's a type of a thing in some ways that I look at them just like I do my dog and cat who might have a little bit of fresh turkey and realize that it truly is a holiday. It's a holiday that has become ingrained in our senses since Sarah Josepha Hale actually advocated it to become a national holiday. And it was actually Abraham Lincoln in 1863 that signed a proclamation that it would be the last Thursday of November when we would celebrate a national Thanksgiving. I need to finish up at your house. I want to picture the whole thing. <laughs> what do you have for side dishes that you make? Um, well, mashed potatoes. And we also have butternut squash. There's Any onions? Some... Creamed onions? Well, not creamed onions, but I serve boiled onions. And I also probably will have, you know, what I call a turnip, potato, and onion uh, dish. 
it's um, very simple. It's mashed together, and it's something that my great aunt would actually serve. And I nod to these people and remember them on that Chris, uh, that Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day because I always serve it on both. That it's actually something that's part of my shared Thanksgiving traditions, but. Side vegetables are important, and of course I make not only fresh butter, but I also make cranberry sauce because we have great cranberries in um, a Yarmouth port, and we buy them by the gallon. So it's something in a lot of ways that people think of cranberry as something tart, but I actually enjoy it. It's a nice foray to uh, um, not only get them, but then bring them back and make them into something, including cranberry loaf bread. Any, any nod to your Italian... Heritage? Well, in the past, yes. My mother, who was not Italian, would always serve a lasagna or something of that sort, which was you know, enjoyed by the Italian side of the family. When we do it, um, there are times when we'll serve stuffed shells in a red sauce, which I call gravy. Many people call just sauce. But it's also the fact we'll do something which my Italian grandmother had made, which was a chicken soup with beaten egg and it's a very rich soup with a little bit of lemon it's almost like a avagalumlo soup what's that well it's avagalumlo yes chicken broth yes chicken pieces and egg and a little bit of lemon and what you do is you beat the eggs into the hot chicken broth oh so it's kind of egg drop soupy Somewhat similar, yes. But and it has a much fresher taste with the actual ooh, lemon. Jesus. Any other, what, what else do you season it with? Um, just a little bit of salt and pepper. It's very, very mild. So, But I make a court broth. I mean, it's a very thick broth. Broth, chicken pieces, and lemon, and, and pepper. Fresh eggs. And fresh eggs. And how about, uh, tell me about your broth. Well, I made it the other evening and as well down at the Cape. It was just simply chicken thighs, and I boiled it in water. I didn't use any type of broth. Must have boiled it very gently for close to 10 hours. And at that point, the chicken had fallen from the bones Ooh. and the um, onions and carrots, and I think I had squash and celery in there. And what I had done was to strain it, and I then reboiled it again, and then when I finally strained it, it was almost a bouillon. So I call it a court bouillon. It's a very rich, very dark bouillon. And it's something that then I put into, it sounds peculiar, a plastic jug. And then I can actually make individual soup for mm. two people. So it's quite good. That I have to do that because I, ha I have the broth previously made. I can. You can actually I, do wow. it, yeah. What do you like to do for dessert? Well, you yeah. have to have pumpkin pie. At your home. And pumpkin one of the pie. things is the pumpkin is actually decorating one of the urns at the driveway. So that will come in probably this weekend and be cut up and I'll prepare the pumpkin itself. It's from scratch. Wow. So it's kind of fun to do. How about but the we'll, dough? Scratch too? It's scratch dough. Wow. And it's only one pie, but then I'll probably do, this year I'm probably doing a nod to my great aunt, Bridget Madden, and she would make what was called a creme de menthe pie. And it was Oreo cookie crust, and it was something that actually had creme de menthe with cream and jello, and it really was one of my favorite as a wow. child. It was just incredible. But my granddaunt would also do things such as, you know, brandy-flavored whipped cream, especially on the pumpkin pie. So you could get a high, so to speak, even as a child, just by eating the whipped cream, let alone the creme de menthe pie. 
But we'll also have pizzas, roll-ups. We'll What's have... a pizzella? Sorry, pizzella is like Sorry a, folks, I don't it's, know. It's an Italian wafer cookie. Okay. It looks like a... Oh, a... it's kind of a, a waffly-looking thing. Exactly. I know. There's some guy on the tea on the way home that gets them and, oh, and well, offers me one, actually. Really? Oh, yeah. Nice. Well, we make them from scratch. Pizzellas. So it's kind of... We have a pizzella machine that my mother had received from a cousin for her 25th wedding anniversary, and... She never used it, so it was something that was, well, at this point, it must be close to uh, 40 years old. Wow. But we use it, and we just have fun with it. But I think one of the things is it's whatever you do that actually kind of makes you feel whole. Uh, it makes you feel as though sometimes you connect with the past, but in a lot of ways you introduce it to the future too. Children and grandchildren, you know, children around the table or a children's table can be a lot of fun. Whenever I see a, these, one of these pizzas, I imagine it with a slab of ice cream between two of them making an exactly. ice cream sandwich. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, that's to me, that's a wonderful thing. All right, let's talk to George in Melrose, right around the corner here. Hello, George. Uh, hello, Jay, and hello, Anthony. Hello. I thought... I thought I would uh, relay some of my feelings on Thanksgiving. I remember one of my siblings said it's my favorite holiday, and I was thinking, really? But as I've gotten older, I think it's become mine also. Uh, you know, just to to give thanks. You were saying how people come great distances just to share, you know, share their lives, their time themselves with one another. Um you know, they're not coming home for some big spectacle or some orchestrated celebration, but just to be with each other. I think that's uh, that's pretty heavy. I think if you lead a grateful life, you you know, you lead a better, happier life if you're grateful for, for the blessings in your life. You know, something as simple as that. Because I think, you know, I don't know, I like Christmas, but it seems like there's pressure, commercialization, you know, the hustle and bustle. I got to get a gift. And, you know, I don't know, there's some pressure there. And, um you know, I think Thanksgiving just coming together, and then I always go to the Melrose Wakefield football game. That's some, you know, it's a huge game for right. the players. Uh, it might be the last competitive game they ever play wow. in their lives, and it, you know, it's a it's a big deal. And it's kind of a reunion too. You see True. people from the past you haven't seen in years, and uh, I don't know. Just to me, it's more relaxing than Christmas, and uh, the theme of it, just Thanksgiving and gratefulness, is is like really, really great. You know. Is there one particular food that you look forward to? <laughs> well, I get a big sweet tooth. You were just talking about desserts, but uh, the desserts are great. We always have turkey with the fixings, and I mean, you just can't go wrong. There's no one thing you can pick. It's the whole smorgasbord there of, uh, you know, main course, side dishes, desserts. It's it's just incredible. You know. Yeah, one thing I am guilty of is putting too much on the plate at once and kind of eating it so that the flavors mishmash up. I need to be more careful. Uh -huh. I need to appreciate one thing at Gosh. a time. Do you know what that, I mean? That's Thanksgiving, though. You have to it's actually like, do that. Want, two or three different yeah. flavors on each oh. bite. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Jay, I, I, I'll, I'll go separately, but then I'll another plate all mashed together. You do it. You do. You do both. <laughs> yeah, I definitely mix squash and mashed potato together. Well, that's a little nice. bit in each bite. Why not? I think one of the things is, though, your plate sometimes can be overburdened. I mean, I, I admit I am a glutton. But <laughs> the concept is it's once a year, and it's just it's not just the food of Thanksgiving. It's kind of sharing bread with family and friends. And I exactly. think in a lot of ways yeah, yeah. it's a nice thing, and we – 
you know, we light candles and we say a prayer and, you know, we realize in some ways many of us are very fortunate in life. And Thanksgiving is more than just a food or a meal. Thanksgiving is a sense that we carry in our hearts. George, thank you very much. Very good. Thank you for sharing that, Anthony. You're welcome. Thank you. You folks can do what you want, but I have a recommendation, and that's before you get home, you communicate by however you communicate and say, look, I will come to Thanksgiving if we promise there will be no talk of politics whatsoever. Do yourselves that favor and make the rules, make it strict, just as strict as we do on Jay talking here. Well, with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, I have three minutes. Let me just talk about my childhood Thanksgivings. And folks, you can all do this. 617-254-1030. This is how you do it. He spoke about the, the Wakefield football game. Well, I came to a town that was right near Wakefield, Linfield. So I'm from a small, very small town in New Hampshire. So every year we'd pile in the car, and it was a big thing. Driving down you know, the highway and then Route 1, back when Route 1 was cool, Gosh, really? with a peanut. And all oh, yeah, those Mr. Peanut, Mr. Man, Peanut yes. Man, and then the half dollar and the Leaning Tower, all that stuff was whoa! This is crazy. And then we'd turn wherever you turn, and first we'd go visit Uncle Bill for some reason, and it was on it was in Linfield on Oxbow Road. They had kind of a nice house, and there was the kitchen, and then a big room off the kitchen, and the table went all the way from the kitchen through the next room. And then there was also a kid's table. I don't know. There might have been 30 people. Really? A lot. Wow. And they're sweating and cooking and all. And, they, you know, they had all the the, uh, the fixings. And one thing that I remember about it is my aunts had kids that were older. And they were city kids. And they were cool. Oh. And so they would be, they were kind of almost teenagers and they'd be going out to do stuff and talking about stuff that was, whoa, you know, a little bit, little bit exciting. And they'd be listening to the music, and they'd have these beehive hairdos, really? and they'd be listening to Diana Ross and the Supremes. Oh my! This is so I got a little bit of taste of city life and and music from coming down there. And one of the we would generally get a, a gift of tickets on Thanksgiving to go to maybe a movie in the big city later on. So that would mean another trip to city. And I remember then we would see the lights on the common and we would see either the circus or it's a, like a movie maybe had in the cyclorama. One year it was It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Oh, right. I remember that. <laughs> so yes. there's that. That was my thing. And then uh, sometimes we would stay overnight and that we get a little bit immersed into a more suburban, not, not rural culture. And listen to listen to records and stuff. And I remember one sad time, one of the relatives had a gallbladder attack. Thank you for for making all the right sounds. I guess so. <laughs> Gosh, I'm thinking that's of like uh, a family memory. Oh man, I'm thinking of Lord Grantham on Downton Abbey. <laughs> yeah, 
So that was that. And uh, now go up to New Hampshire and we always go between, should we have it at home or should we have it at a restaurant? I myself, I kind of like it at a restaurant. Really? Yeah. Because no, there are no dishes. Uh, the dishes thing, I always feel guilty. I end up doing all the dishes because I can't, I can't just sit around and let the women do it. So I, I end up doing them all. So I'd, I'd well, rather be at the restaurant. Any recommendations? For restaurants? I went to the Ritz well, one time. Well, it sounds wonderful. That was all right. The Taj is now closed. Um, I would actually go to a hotel. I mean, to me, it would be the type of a thing, maybe the Lenox Hotel oh, or yeah. the Copley Plaza, the Oak Room. These are things that you know are going to have Thanksgiving dinner. And Anthony has a new book on the way, right? It is. Uh, this is a book that's actually called Thanksgiving Traditions in Boston. It'll be published by Font Hill Press in London. It will be out by September of 2020, just in time for the 400th anniversary of the settlement of Plymouth Bay Colony by the Pilgrims. And one of the things is these books, which are beautifully illustrated and many photographs in color, actually kind of shows in some ways my ideas of how Bostonians have celebrated Thanksgiving over the four centuries. You know, when we think of Thanksgiving, many of us do think of the dinner, the wonderful roast turkey, but it's actually become part of the subculture of the 19th century when Thanksgiving was something that became how we venerated the pilgrims, the separatists who actually settled the new world in 1620 when they arrived in the Mayflower. These were people in some ways that were not members of the Anglican Church, unlike the Puritans who settled Boston in 1630. The pilgrims were known as separatists. They were separated from the church, and they refused to join. But they took it one step further, and in the period just prior to 1620, had left England, and they lived in Leiden in Holland. And in that instance, they basically realized that if they didn't actually create a Zion in the New World, their children and grandchildren were going to grow up as being Dutch. So by the period of 1620, when the Mayflower would set sail, it arrived in the New World, and they created what they called a Bible Commonwealth. It wasn't just the fact that the Bible was read and, of course, adhered to, but even their common laws had biblical precedence. The pilgrims were important people. They were people that in some instances realized that by leaving England and, of course, having left for Holland, but coming to the New World, what they were doing in some ways was planting the seeds of you know, freedom of religion. They had refused to join the Church of England, but they, in this instance, created something that was to become venerated in the 19th century. So when people began to see school plays of not only pilgrim boys and pilgrim girls, but also Native Americans, you began to realize that this was something that would actually take on a whole new meaning in the late 19th and 20th centuries. And people would actually roast turkeys, and it was a la pilgrim. And it was something that was really quite fun, but it was also the fact that now, at the turn of the 20th century, so few people could trace their descent from the pilgrims who had settled the, you know, what is the United States today in 1620, that actually it was something that embraced people of all walks of life, all ethnicities, all religions, and of course, all ethnicities. 
It was something that was really and truly quite special, and it created a thriving nexus of cultures. You mentioned a woman who lobbied for and a president who ordered Thanksgiving to become a national holiday. Can you talk about the woman first a, a little bit? Well, you know, the funny thing was when I'm doing this book, and it's a fascinating glimpse. Of course, I'm writing three books at once. And this woman, Sarah Josepha Hale, was somebody who had been born in New Hampshire, And her husband, who was an attorney, had died fairly young. So she had children to provide for. And what she did was to become the editor of Gaudy's Ladies Magazine, which was a nationwide publication in the 19th century. And it was kind of like a fashion and arbiter of taste. She was really quite special. She was literate. She could write well. She was somebody who, in many instances, would write numerous letters throughout the 1830s, 1840s, and 1850s advocating to make Thanksgiving into a national holiday. But it would be Abraham Lincoln, when he was president in 1863, that would eventually sign it into law so that it became a national holiday on the fourth Thursday of November. And she herself was somebody in a lot of ways that people began to realize had advocated for this for years But I think in some ways she also was someone who created something in a book that she called Northwood, Life North and South. And she was somebody who wrote extremely well, and she described a Thanksgiving dinner with her family in the period of the 1840s as, quote, a long table covered in a white damask tablecloth. Every child had a seat at the table, the more the better, it being considered an honor for a man to sit down to his Thanksgiving dinner surrounded by a large family. And with the feast composed of a leg of port, loin of mutton, sirloin of beef, vegetables, gravy, a goose, ducklings, pickles, preserves, a chicken pie, and the celebrated pumpkin pie, an indispensable part of a good and true Yankee Thanksgiving. She actually was somebody who laid out for us, and those were the very beginnings of what became our memorable Thanksgiving feasts. Did people celebrate it before it was an official holiday? They did, but it wasn't Thanksgiving as we knew it. It was a Thanksgiving for a bountiful harvest. Now, you know, the United States, even in the 19th century, was still an agrarian culture. So we were seeing, even in the surrounding Boston areas, many people cultivating their farms. So, of course, there was a bountiful harvest, there'd be a bountiful Thanksgiving. And in that instance, it was usually in November. It was something that didn't necessarily correlate to the pilgrims per se, but it was also at the same time that they, too, had created an abundant harvest and celebrated Thanksgiving. Most civilizations and religions have some sort of harvest celebration. Correct. And this is ours. Exactly. I mean, I think even the Jews with what we basically think of as, um, you know, I forgot the name of it, I'm sorry. But it was the Jews would actually have these things, Shabbat. Shabbat. And Shabbat was something that would actually be celebrated in this wonderful area with vines and, you know, pieces of wheat and barley, and that you would share this meal under this wonderful canopy of the harvest. So in some ways, it was something that was really quite fun, but Thanksgiving became this almost iconoclastic type of celebration that we started with people such as Mary Chilton. And Mary Chilton was supposedly the first woman 
to actually step from the Mayflower's small boat that would actually step on Plymouth Rock. And Plymouth Rock, which is now a venerated thing enshrined in this gorgeous limestone colonnade, is something in some ways that was a stepping stone. And I think of it as a stepping stone to the new world. And in that way, Mary Chiltern, who is actually commemorated by the Chiltern Club in Boston's Back Bay, a ladies' group, is something in some ways that people begin to realize that who knew who really stepped on the first you know, step, but she was the woman who was given the thing. You have a, a, pic, a photo of that in the book? I do, and it's actually of her stepping from the small rowboat that was actually rowed from the Mayflower to Plymouth Harbor. And you can see the Mayflower back in the distance. I know, they're wonderful. But then you also have the pilgrims going to church, and George Brougham, who in 1867 did this wonderful painting of the pilgrims actually walking along a snowy pathway to actually go to their meeting. They didn't call it a church, but they actually called it a meeting house. And the meeting house was not only a place of worship on Sundays, but it was also a place where town meeting would take place. So there was no separation of church and state in the 17th century. But the pilgrims by this period of the mid to late 19th century were becoming in some ways people that those Americans who could trace their descent from the pilgrims and the Puritans of the early part of the 17th century that had come from England now began to extol the virtues, the um, selflessness, and the wonderful aspect of their culture and how it actually became something that they too wanted to emulate. And those are when the pageants began. And, of course, you began to see these things even in 1920, a magnificent pageant of thousands of people recreating not only the Mayflower arriving in Plymouth Harbor, but also even the wonderful, bountiful, and abundant Thanksgiving dinner shared by both pilgrims and Native Americans alike. In this painting, George Bowden, is that how you say it? Correct. It's it's quite a beautiful painting in in that it really gets a, a feeling of the season in the it's folks it's in the wood the trees are barren there's sort of a, a pathway in the, in the snow and the pilgrims are going to church first note that they are, they have the the men have their rifles with them that's right going to church and it's interesting to see how the people in 1867 viewed it pretty similar to now and. They're walking on the snow, which has all been beaten down, and you can almost feel the 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 light in the t- from the time of year. It's kind of a dark gray light, and hear the crunching of the snow in the picture. And the, the, that that will also be in the book, right? Yes, I'm guessing. And then, the, by the period of the 1830s and 40s, Nathaniel Currier, who eventually joined and became known as Currier and Ives would actually do these wonderful prints, and it shows the landing of the Pilgrims in 1620. I love it because it's this wonderful hand-colored lithograph, but it's also something that shows the pilgrims dressed in 19th century garb. Oh, yeah. Isn't that fun? Yeah. And I think sometimes you begin to see these various paintings, prints, lithographs, all trying in some ways to actually extol the virtues of the pilgrims who had settled Plymouth Bay Colony. And in the 17th century, that was really an important feature. As I teach this course at Boston University on the history of Boston, 
I do juxtapose the pilgrims who's actually settling Plymouth Bay Colony to the Puritans who settled Massachusetts Bay Colony. Both were Englishmen. Both were actually having difficulty with the acceptance of the Anglican Church. But whereas the Puritans had actually joined the church and wanted to purify, and that's how they got the name Puritan, from within, the pilgrims themselves as separatists wouldn't have anything to do with it. So by the 20th century, you began to see in some ways with the creation of not just Plymouth Plantation, which was something that was actually endowed by Henry Hornblower, one of the heirs to the Hornblower and Weeks fortune, you began to realize he himself would actually create this living museum that not only showed the places in which the pilgrims had lived, but also where they worshipped and how they grew food and how they actually were perceived in a 20th century context of the 17th century. After the break, we'll talk more about the book, including some photos that are a little bit scandalous. It's WBZ. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We're with Anthony Samarco, and we're talking about Thanksgiving and his book that is being put together now on Thanksgiving traditions in Boston. And he's well, one angle is the, is the photos and he shared some photos with us. What we've talked about and described, you'll be able to see him when the book comes out. One of them you're showing me is a monument to our forefathers. This is a fascinating monument. It's one of the largest solid granite monuments in the world. It was actually sculpted by J.H. Hammett Billings. Hammett Billings was a major architect and sculptor in the 19th century. He'd been born and raised in Milton. And to give you an example, as his architecture was something of the 1840s and 50s, he designed and built what is the Liberty Tree Building at the corner of Washington and Essex Street. Until recently, it was the Registry of Motor Vehicles. But he was also somebody who created this enormous statue monument to our forefathers and it was built in Plymouth and it was something in a lot of ways that was not only a place of pilgrimage with many fraternal groups but it also would see presidents coming to lay wreaths so you had not only the Plymouth monument but you also had the wonderful uh, pilgrim monument in Provincetown and it was built at Pole Hill and you would see that Willard Sears, the architect of Isabella Gardner's house, Fenway Court, would build this campanile at the turn of the 20th century, and Theodore Roosevelt would actually dedicate it as something of the first landing of the pilgrims at Provincetown before they went to Plymouth. This statue, right? Well, no, this is the statue in Plymouth, okay. but the one, the campanile in, okay. in Provincetown. So in that chapter, I talk about monuments, including Plymouth Rock. And, you know, Plymouth Rock at one time was just a rock on the beach, but by the 19th century, they had placed a granite, almost a baldacchino over it. And what happened was by the early part of the 20th century, they replaced it with what is there today, a limestone colonnade with a cap. So these are monuments that sometimes kind of 
create this venerable aspect towards the pilgrims, the rock, the monument to the forefathers, and then the Campanile Tower in Provincetown, which actually marks the important aspect of the first landing site of the pilgrims. Well, we have a Bill in Brookline wants to join us. Bill, hello. Say hello to Anthony. Hello, Anthony. Hello, Bradley. You know, I loved every show with Anthony, but this is tonight is my most favorite. I just, I love Thanksgiving so much, and uh, it's just, it's just the best time, and it brings back so many memories. Uh, Anthony, when you mentioned Mary Chilton, I got really excited uh, because uh, my brother and I have been playing at the Chilton Club dances for the last 30 years or so, and uh, that's a very special club. It is. Uh, my friend Keita Reese is the president, and I think in some ways when I go to the Chilton Club, I always say to myself, wow, the food is so wonderful, but of course the dancing's important. Your brother used to play the, the Bo Winokur at the Waltz Evenings at the Copley Plaza for many years, and I used to Absolutely. go to those for many, many years when I was young yeah. and could dance at that time. <laughs> <laughs> These clubs, you know, they, they just make you think you're back many, many years ago. We've been doing the Somerset Club and the Chilton Club, and it just makes you think you're back in the old, old times. Well, you are. You should come to the St. Patolf Club. You'll be in the 21st century. <laughs> well, we we uh, have done a number of things at St. Patolf, but uh, it's always there are always private parties. We haven't been doing any member events, although our, our pianist goes... Uh, Oh, Megan calls us for our pianist all the time, but uh, uh, that's another great club. I love that club, too. Well, you'll hear from me when my 65th birthday is coming up because you can play for the dance. <laughs> oh, definitely. That sounds good. That sounds great. But, Bill, uh, Bill is... by the way, is uh, a musician, along with his brother Bo and other musicians, plays many, many events around the area, mostly, mostly high-level events with rich people. Right, Bill? Well, kind of. Bradley, <laughs> Go ahead and deny we, that. We, Bradley, we we do that kind of work, but we also play for poor people too. I mean, we we do every kind of work, and I get just as much enjoyment going to a rest home and brightening up the faces. Okay, so good. it's all all special. I was hearing about all these clubs, and I I, I could only imagine the, the life, <clears throat> the the clothing, the the, the uh, lead crystal at these events. Oh, the, these clubs, are Bradley, it's another world. It's like you're almost back in the 1800s. Well, the uh, martinis or, or, taste just as good right, there pretty... as well as Applebee's. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, we've we've been blessed to be able to be at all these places. You know, I, I would never be a member of these clubs. You know, I grew up on a farm in Millis, but uh, we've we've been very lucky to, uh, you know, be a part of all of this, and it's really special. You know, getting a glimpse into uh, the old, old times. Uh, they they keep the great traditions alive at these clubs. I have a couple of minutes, and this is an aside, but I get letters and stuff asking about Betty in the Boat, and you happen to know Betty in the Boat, your pals yeah, very Betty well. in the Boat. Uh, is Betty she all right? I just, we just need to know if she's okay. She's She was great. You know, she was in two weeks ago. She was into Brothers, and uh, she was really good. I, she. I don't hear her calling the show 
And I, I brought that up to her. I don't know why she's not calling. Well, that's whatever floats but, her boat. It's up to her. Betty was great. She was she was wonderful. We had a great talk, and she listened, enjoyed the music, and it was great. Well, thanks for checking in, Bill. Thank you. Oh, uh, listen, I I love this show. You and Anthony together, it's kind of magical. Wow, thank you very much. Thank you. Say, say hi to you know, bro, bro for us. Yeah. Hey, the, 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 the also talkative Bo Winnaker, very talkative. I think in a lot of ways it is truly, it's a wonderful aspect, but sometimes you have to realize that clubs are fun, but it's also basically how we relate to family and friends. I mean, we're only having friends this year, and I think one of that aspects to me is the fact that it's special and at one o'clock when the fire is crackling and they come to the front door you know we, I say to myself wow what would you like to drink and we sit and have a drink and we toast one another and realize in some ways that Thanksgiving can also be thanks for family and friends right it's kind of fun we all thank you very much for giving us a sense of where we come from in this neighborhood in this area and do you have any speaking engagements coming up? Well, this evening I was actually at the Lars Anderson Museum. I actually had a wonderful lecture on molasses. But on Thursday, I'm at the James Library in Norwell. It's at 7 p.m., and it's actually on the history of Jordan Marsh. Beautiful. Oh, I remember that That uh, when we did that. Also, I, one of my favorites was S.S. Pierce, the history of the S.S. Pierce. It was a great story. I mean, I've enjoyed it, but the thing is I keep buying more and more on eBay and any major purveyor of these ephemera and advertising. So I'm halfway through the book. And there we go. That's our time with Anthony Samarco, my friends. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.